Beyond Belief on Clare FM. It's been a very busy week for the Anglican community here in West Clare uh, because we've welcomed a new rector and I'm delighted to say Kevin O'Brien joins us in the studio now. So, Kevin, you are most welcome. Thank you very much indeed. It's lovely to be here. And it's, as I say, it's been quite busy. You, you were installed, or whatever the technical term is, on Friday. Service of welcome on Friday evening, and then Eucharist this morning at Kilnasula Church, and then the Harvest Thanksgiving Evensong at Ecumenical at St Columbus at 4.30 this afternoon. Yeah, Very good. So you can... Take a few days off now to, to <laughs> catch your breath. Now, you're no stranger to West Clare. Uh, I know you've been coming here for some time uh, for a holiday location. We've been coming here since the boys were tiny and they're now 20 and, and 18. Shortly after I was going into ordination training, we bought the house over here. We've had it for about 17, 18 years. Been coming here in some holidays and sometimes in winter. And it's the one home that the boys have known that's been consistent throughout their lives. And we came here last summer and we knew something was up when one of our sons walked in and said, Ah, I'm home. Yes, that's a a lovely feeling, isn't it? And I I do understand that. So let's go right back to the beginning. When did you first come to faith? That was in my 30s. I'd been an advertising executive, person working with the BBC, lived a fairly fast-paced life, didn't feel the need for religion, and would have considered myself as an agnostic, if not an atheist. Uh, Although, I think friends sometimes said, I've never met an atheist who speaks so much about religion. Um, So I was always intrigued, and actually I won a philosophy prize awarded to me by my RE teacher at school, who wrote in the book, um, I can see Kevin's on a journey, I only wish I'd been able to take him further. And actually, years later, I I wrote to him and said, I've just been ordained, so I didn't go out too badly. (laughs) Oh, very good. So uh, what what was it that occasioned this, this change, this fundamental change in your beliefs? Well, I was teaching at Bournemouth University and met Sue. We fell in love and wanted to get married and I knew that she'd want to get married in a church and so at the time I thought to myself, goodness, can I cope with such a thing? Um, well, let's let's go to a church and see if I can get through a service and the very first service I went to with her, it was her style of church which, uh, and I was intrigued at this thing called Anglo-Catholicism, didn't know what that was, and I went to this church and it was a beautiful choral mass um, probably with something like Palestrina being sung by the choir, and I have to say halfway through that service I had a conversion experience And what form did this take? It was firstly a movement of the heart, really and I said to myself, my goodness it's all true Uh, I didn't necessarily mean it's all factual, but certainly I felt that there was truth there, and somehow the curtain had been twitched aside, and I'd seen some greater reality beyond, and I felt completely at peace and completely at home, as if I utterly belonged there, and I felt so surrounded by peace and love, and um, so that moment, and I've had a few like that since, but, you know, they sustain you. But that was the thing that really sparked it off. And uh, then Sue and I um, chatted, and she said, would you think you'd cope with coming once a month? I said, once a month, I want to go back next week. (laughs) Uh, And then the rector there, after we'd been going for a while, said, would Kevin like confirmation classes so you could have a nuptial mass? And Sue was thinking, back off, back off, don't push him. But actually I said, yes. And then halfway through through the confirmation classes, I said, look, I know this sounds terribly odd, but I think I feel called to be a priest. Wow. (laughs) And he said, well, let's finish your confirmation class first. 
and we did. But at the end of it, he was true to his word and, and put me before the bishop. And the bishop was... For a man who sometimes had a reputation of being quite cautious, he, was, he, he actually said to me, look, I think the Holy Spirit is doing something. Probably my job is to get out of the way. And actually, within 18 months of, of that conversion experience, I was actually at seminary training for the priesthood. And so after that, what was that, three years training? That was three years residential training first. And then in the Anglican tradition, you do some time in the theological college and then you complete your training as a curate. So that's another three years of curacy under the tuition of a more experienced priest. And then I did what's called a second curacy, which was a post after that. And then after that, I was a school chaplain, again with a more experienced priest as the main school chaplain. I was assistant school chaplain. Then after that, I went to be a bishop's chaplain, and I was chaplain to the Bishop of Europe, the Anglican Bishop of Europe. So that must have been very interesting. So, you know, for those of us that don't realise that we do have Anglican churches in Europe, as part of the Church of England, I I guess, is it? It's one of the dioceses of the Church of England. It's peculiar in a way because it's the only diocese that's on non-geographical UK territory. It covers 11 time zones from the Canary Islands through to Vladivostok. Uh, 250 churches, 150 plus clergy. And if you think about the old days of trading, wherever um, British companies were and British embassies were, there would have been an expat community associated with that. So they built a chapel or a church and they needed priests. And so that's how that was born. I guess you were travelling almost all the time, were you? Or were you based in one particular place? The bishop was travelling certainly six to eight months in the year. And so I was partially based back in the office in, in order to answer his calls and to channel correspondence through to him. But I would, on his behalf or with him, travel for about three months of the year across Europe. And in that time, I went to Constantinople, Istanbul, met the ecumenical patriarch, I met the Armenian patriarch, went to the Vatican on Rowan Williams, Archbishop Rowan Williams' first official visit to see Pope Benedict at the time and was privileged to see them both give joint benediction um, to people with midday prayers in the Holy Father's private chapel. Mm. And so some wonderful moments there. So did you find that the style of worship uh, was different across the different countries or, or was it pretty much as you would expect uh, from an Anglican church? It varied uh, enormously, and I suspect the variety of worship styles in England and across the Church of England is wider than people might be used to over here because you haven't had the evangelical movement or the evangelical revival or the Oxford movement. So Anglicanism has pretty much been had a continuous history from its earliest times here. But the breadth of spiritualities in England is very great, from really conservative Protestant evangelical churches right through to very high Anglo-Catholic churches, which I was never quite as high as some. They would be wearing berettas and lace and would be looking rather like Lefebvre's and Latin mass society. But I was a step back from that. But I would have called myself, uh, and still do, an Anglo-Catholic, and Catholic worship, the sacraments, would be absolutely central to my own spirituality. So after jet-setting around Europe, you decided you'd like to settle down somewhere, did you? Yes, I mean, I'd had this rather varied chaplaincy sort of um, history, apart from the curacy, and I thought, actually, I can't be a rounded priest uh, unless I have parish experience. That's something that's missing, and, and so I felt the call. My name, Bishop Jeffrey, encouraged me in that, and I went to serve in Burgess Hill, and was there for nine extraordinary years where we saw so many events unfold. 
some of them joyous, some of them deeply tragic. But you can't be that period of time in a, in a parish. I know some priests have served longer, but certainly nine years is a good time where people really get it under your skin and into your heart. Mm. So it was tough to leave, but, but now extremely exciting venture. You, you mentioned come. already your family. Let, let's just put some names to them. You're married to Sue. Yeah. And you have two sons. Two sons, Patrick and Fergus. Patrick is currently studying in his second year at Trinity College ancient and medieval history and Fergus is at home with us and he's been studying horticulture and countryside management and I think he's into things like organic farming and horticulture but also has interests in fantasy literature and he, he's writing his own book and, and all sorts of things so and is learning the guitar and Irish folk guitar. Uh, which good. I think this will be a fantastic opportunity for Absolutely. him to I mean, develop that more. You, you pick the right names for them anyway, Fergus and <laughs> yes. Patrick, my goodness. you know. Well, my grandfather, when I was a little boy, instilled in me a great sense of who we were and where we came from. And actually my own definition, and this is perhaps why Brexit is a sort of particularly painful thing for me, because the idea of an isolated Englishness has never been part of my own psyche. I've always thought of myself as British of Irish extraction and European. And so that call back to home, Ireland was always, by my grandfather, instilled in me as home. And we were here, but actually Ireland was where we came from. It was the birthplace of us and, and, and was our true home. So that, I suppose, set up a, a yearning in me that has been there until now. And it's taken us, what, three generations for my forebears, James O'Brien and Eliza Hannan, left this island in the late 1840s, as you can imagine why. And they were caught in a census in London in 1851, and they were the very first O'Briens of my branch of the family to be in the UK. And the UK has been good to our family, uh, and we've flourished, um, but there's always been something missing. And, and what was it that called you to come to Ennis now? You know, was there some particular thing? It was some conversation, or what yes, was it? Yes, it was... You could call it serendipity, but actually, I guess we would call it something more. And it felt, and I think the mark of a call sometimes is when doors that could be closed just keep on opening. And I felt as if I was looking down a corridor. And as I looked further, another door opened and it just felt so easy. And we came here on holiday last year again and we're worshipping at St Columbus. And we move around, we, um, Ballycorrick Church and, and Lissy Casey Church, because that's our local church, is a place where we worship sometimes with our neighbours. Um, we've been ma made very welcome there. But we were worshipping on this occasion at St Columbus and Morris, Sir Dean Morris, was officiating and we got chatting afterwards and it turned out that he had a history and an association with the diocese in Europe as well. So we got chatting and anyway, it turned out that he said to Bishop Kenneth the next day, I wonder whether we might persuade Kevin to come over. And I separately thought, mm, I wonder whether I might call uh, Bishop Kenneth, which I did that following Monday. And he said, that's amazing. We were only talking about you this morning. And then we got chatting and things just unfolded from there. And you're talking about being a rounded character. What, what do you like in your leisure time, assuming you get some? What, what pursuits do you like? Well, I've always loved water sports. So sailing is a great love of mine. Also, and not something I can practice over here. I have to go overseas for this. Nordic skiing uh, <laughs> is something I love. And one thing I want, certainly want to practice over here is beekeeping. And I have a great love for Irish traditional music. And very, very imperfectly, they little instruments and never really get very far with it. 
I brought over with me some Northumbrian pipes, and I'm hoping an Illan piper might take mercy on me and maybe show me what to do. Yeah. Um, or maybe I might have a go at the Illan pipes as well. And I'd like to learn um, the low whistle whilst I'm here. Very uh, good. So music will, it, uh, has been a great love and will continue to be. Very good. Well, all I can really say is um, welcome home. Thank you. Uh, Reverend Kevin. <laughs> it's wonderful and, to be here. You know, it's, it's obviously been um, destined and, and uh, it, you've been following a path, although you didn't know it, all these years, you know, going three generations and then the, these serendipity things or have they been, have you been called? You, you, know? you look back over yeah. the years. At the time, That's right. it, it seems, seems like casual. chance. Yeah. And then you look back and you feel a hand has been laid upon it. So... Very yeah. good. And you've chosen a piece of music for us. I have. Be Still My Soul to the uh, tune of Finlandia. Another love is Finland. But this particular hymn I love, and it was one I had at my leaving service, where obviously I had to say goodbye to many loved friends, and that was both joyous and hard. But it's uh, a beautiful hymn, and we played it as people were coming up to receive communion blessings. This podcast is produced by the Beyond Belief team. Join us on Sunday at a quarter to eight for Sunday prayer and at 9pm for Beyond Belief. We-